Danny Ings's face as the ball is just whipping by it. I mean, it's 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 a mix of fear, probably that the the ball is just whistling past his ear, <laughs> but but it could also just have been fear of this new world where the players are passing the ball forward to Aston Villa players. <laughs> Hi guys, Jack Greenish here. Uh, delighted to say that I've signed a new deal, which he accepted with one proviso. <laughs> I'm all in, all in, I'm all in, all in, all in. Ladies and gentlemen, Arn Dinks gets the best out of Austin McPhee. Can I start with any higher praise for this man than he gets the best out of Austin McPhee? What a day! What a day at Villa Park! Everybody was bouncing. Aaron Danks was just going on vibes. <laughs> it was brilliant. Like the the dark cloud of Stephen Gerrard had moved on, and he like it really is. We, we could call him Dark Cloud Stevie because he is just pessimistic. He was pessimistic as a player. It was very doom and gloom as a manager, and it just got worse. But. The clouds moved on and the sun was shining. It was supposed to be lashing down with rain at Villa Park, but not under Arn Dinks' watch. <laughs> the Villa fans, the Villa fans were just basking in the rays. Look, look, look what happens. You can, you can push up. You can press, boys. It's fine. It's, it's all right. The crowd go nuts for a little block clearance. It's like, and it all feeds into each other. You can join in with the attack. Have a little shot. Who cares? It's ninety minute match. You only get another chance. And it was such a a closed circuit of energy, wasn't it? It was the crowd were just feeding off what was happening on the pitch. It was reverberating around the stands, and then that was feeding back onto the pitch again. And Jesus, it was a great day. three goals after fifteen minutes. The Rossenthal Award. We don't have one nomination until we were two 0 up. <laughs> <laughs> so Arn Dinks goes for a completely different shape. Stuff that we all said, and like I think that's probably the beauty of it as well, isn't it? Is that it's nice to know you're not fucking crazy. It's nice to know. <laughs> it's nice to know that there are some good players in there that they could try changing the shape, and things wouldn't just open up. The ground wouldn't open up and swallow them, and the world would end. Just, just go out and play a bit of football. Just enjoy it. And oh my god, I haven't enjoyed a game like that, and I don't know how long. That was so satisfying, so enjoyable. I'm get, like, it's it's great to have Aston Villa back again, isn't it? Absolutely. You know, welcome to Villa Park, Thomas Frank as well. I mean, this isn't the fucking, <laughs> this isn't the fucking under seventeen Serenka Cup anymore. This is Arn and Danks Aston Villa. Like the, the the first fifteen minutes, I thought I was hallucinating. Brentford's jersey didn't help. Obviously, it looked like fucking Pac-Man had drunk so much he was hallucinating and vom- <laughs> vomited into a referee's kit bag. But we were we were fucking brilliant, and the staff and the players, and like a huge a huge benefit of an interim manager is that the opposition literally have no idea, can have no clue as to what you're going to do, and a drawback of having Gerard was that the opposition literally knew exactly what we were going to do every week. So I do have a a bit of sympathy for your your hero Thomas Frank, but. <laughs> Because he, could, he couldn't have possibly suspected that this Aston Villa squad had the capacity or the personnel to play a functioning 4-2-3-1, to be solid and dangerous, to have more than a fucking 80-yard ball in its arsenal of forward <laughs> passes. But this squad is good, Conan. It's, it's almost like watching every Villa game for decades has given us and the majority of supporters an indication of where these players are at. They're, yeah. 
where they should be performing at. And when that relief and weight is just taken from their shoulders, when they're shuffled about into more natural fits and a more solid team and given even the most basic of instructions about movement and Brentford's weaknesses, this squad of players will always hammer Brentford. They'll always hammer Leeds, Southampton, Fulham, Bournemouth, Forest. So... So that's that's it. Like let's let's try to adopt those basic principles when we're looking for a new manager. Like it sh- it should be question one at the interview: Will you set up a team to be effective in a game of football, or will you attempt to induce a coma in millions of football fans? <laughs> I have to say, I think we found a new manager. <laughs> put the, put the contract in front of him, give him a pen, tell him to write down whatever number he wants. Thank you. <laughs> and you know what? After today, and I know he's my hero, I want to rule out Thomas Frank from the village job. <laughs> if this was an audition, he flunked it. No, absolutely. absolutely. Villa, Villa, Villa dominate them. And obviously, there's a, there's a bit of a bounce there. There is that, like I said, the weight taken from their shoulders and they be aggressive. But Brentford are supposed to play like that as well. And they must have been expecting a reaction. And it's incredible that that we were able to score so early so many times that Brentford didn't just shut up shop for those couple of minutes. I thought it was... Silly from them. Yeah. Really bad luck in fairness. Um if they had gotten Villa three days earlier, they would have <laughs> they would have won 3-0. Um it's one of those ones like you just hate when it happens to you when you can see a team and you can see the points coming down the line and and the club above them act before you can get to get those <laughs> points. It's uh always disappointing. But you're so right because ah oh, there was there was verve in Villa's play, so much zip, you're pushing the balls down the lines, everybody was bouncing, they were interchanging positions, doing each other's work. And then even sometimes when it didn't have to be so creative or even so energetic, it was just little passes, just, just pass the ball to each other. How often do we say that? And it was amazing how after a few passes in the opposition half, a chance could open up because you have these players who can take control of the ball and pass to each other and they were allowed to push up and, and join in. And it was like, I mean, it really wasn't rocket science sometimes. And ah, it was brilliant. Like, I don't want to put it as simply as the shackles were off but there was so much of a release there it was like the the toxicity had, had lifted from the place and and boys were out to prove a point again and they were set up in a in a more exciting way we'll get into some of the, the tactics talks later but let's go straight into the, the goals because the first the first goal comes very quickly and it's always disappointing when Douglas Louise hits a short corner now because it's fucking hilarious when he do- does shoot and he <laughs> always scored again. But like this is the beauty of it now. He he doesn't he's got everybody on such panic stations that they're all waiting for the shot from the corner flag and it just gives Villa so much options and he plays it short to Buendia, gets it back, nice left foot of ball and Leon Bailey's looping around. He's left free, but it's good movement in the box. And oh, just just wraps his instep around it. It's great to see that bit of control. And he's hammered it in with his instep as well. Justice for Craig Butler. Justice for Austin McPhee. Justice for Leon Bailey. Like What a performance that was from him. Absolutely. I, I'm starting to think that Dougie only scored those two corners earlier in the season just so he could take a few short ones and get the <laughs> ball back in space. And everyone involved does everything perfectly. And even Dougie's run to get back onside. Yeah. Everyone's on it. And it's an incredible set piece. When Dougie gets it back, he looks up, he picks out his man through a crowd as well and on his left foot. And it's not that easy a pass. And Leon Bailey, one of the best wingers in the world, scores every game and gets his customary goal in the way nice and early. And he can just relax into the game after that. And it was a great performance. 
<laughs> the second goal, we're going to talk more about Leon Bailey throughout. I mean, that's, we're complaining about him not backing up. That's now two games out of three for Leon Bailey, so <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm feeling good about him at the minute. I know Craig Butler will be. The second goal, this was just so heartening. It turns out we've had this player. It's Gerard signed this player and didn't bother playing him. So much so that we were wondering, why the fuck did we sign Leander Dundonker? What is he here for? And it all starts around the right-back position. He just picks the ball away. He's behind, gets these big gangly legs and he's, he's able to just sort of manoeuvre, like big gadget limbs, you know, just manoeuvre the ball back from people who think they've got possession. And he sets Watkins away down the right. Watkins goes on an explosive run, realises he's run out of room, turns around, keeps possession, and the switch of play, the switch of play there it is. Go down one wing and switch the play and go down the other. And the switches across to who fucking else do you want on the ball than Ashley Young? I mean, <laughs> I don't want to see another team sheet without Ashley Young's name on it. Because this boy, like the performances of this boy are incredible. And that pass to Leon Bailey, like on the left-hand side, he's right foot, he plays at the outside of Bailey, inside. It's, it's, it's a Grealish t- type of pass. Like the weight's perfect. It's... It's just a little, oh, I didn't see that, even though it was so obvious, you know, and I, like, but no, you didn't see it because, I don't know, maybe just because he was using his right foot because of the angles of the defenders, but he's just like, I can just push that through and tell Bailey to run after it, and Young does the work for everybody, you know, it's a, it's a great pass from Bailey and good finish from Danny Ings, and we're on the way, 2-0 up after seven minutes. Yeah, I'm going to give a bit more... Bit more praise to Bailey. I mean, the, the the pass from Young is disgusting. It's filthy wee bastard. But my <laughs> my my favorite thing about the build up is Bailey's run. I mean, his understanding of the space. Someone follows Buendia out a little bit, and Bailey just goes, and the run demands the pass. Yeah, like that's that's why Young has to play it so early. I mean, it's not ideal. You're right. It's not ideal to be playing that ball with your with your instep off your right foot. But he has to give it to Bailey because Bailey's demanded it. And when one of the best wingers in the world says, give me the ball with his movement, you bloody give it to him. And Ashley Young, Ashley Young wasn't born yesterday, Connor, not by a fucking long way. And he know he knows that. So he sends him away. And then the movement in the box is brilliant as well. And like we've always said, the lethal Danny Ings doesn't have to be asked twice to take those chances. <laughs> uh the third, the third goal. Tyrone Mings is very stupid from my ear, really. This is one of those occasions where I'm happy Mings goes down to ground because how much more of your shirt do you want to be pulling? It's madness. <laughs> Absolute madness. And Mings goes down then just to bring it to the referee's attention, who you know wouldn't have given the penalty if he didn't go down. And um, Danny Ings steps up, the lethal Danny Ings. I got a text message from somebody saying, is Danny Ings good again, is he? <laughs> <laughs> Went down the middle. <laughs> don't know about that no, not, not, not the biggest fan of that I only like that when you know when it's obvious that you've done the keeper I don't know if he did did he just go down the middle I'm not sure let's let's put it to the jury oh he, he absolutely did I mean David Rea had a brilliant game but he needs to donate a salary to charity this week I mean you can't be diving out of the way of a Danny Ings penalty has he ever not put it down the middle <laughs> like that's that's where Danny Ings hits his penalties fucking stand up and catch like I don't want to be giving away any clues, but in the future, just in case the other nineteen teams fans are listening to this podcast, but Danny Ings hits his penalties down the middle. That's where he goes, and he doesn't look at Ray. He's not waiting for him to go. He's just picked 
There's three sides you can hit the penalty to. Right, left are down the middle, and Danny Ings goes down the middle nearly every time. <laughs> but you're right, it's it's absolutely bonkers defending. I mean, Tyrone Mings' jersey is already massive. The ref isn't going to miss you making it fucking bigger. Like, I, I can't believe it's still an impulse that professional footballers have. A player runs past you and you grab their jersey. I mean, I've seen better trained dogs. And there wasn't even any treat on offer for Ayer here. So it's hard to understand why he's gone snapping. It's fucking terrible. <laughs> and the fourth goal to cap it all off. I, I did want the fourth. It's a really, really nice and really good, obviously, going 3-0 up after 14 minutes. But, it's, you know, <laughs> you like to score in the next 75 minutes then as well. And uh, it was nice to just get one in the second half to really round off the performance. And... That run from Leon Bailey, I mean, Jesus Christ, it's so tight on the left-hand side, on the touchline. He probably takes a pass about three people. And this was at a stage where I thought he was just starting to tire, and very understandably so, because he was buzzing around there. Like He was showing so much energy to burst on to all these passes to play. Like We had so many attacks, and uh, he was so central to all of them. Plays the ball inside to Ings, perfect ball back from Ings. Bailey bursts again, he just finds that lift from somewhere, and the ball like the ball across to Ollie Watkins is fucking perfect and Ollie Watkins, give him three bites of the cherry and he'll fucking score one of them <laughs> <laughs> this is all he wants really I mean the first shot is quite disappointing I think the second one, it's disappointing because the pass is so good from Bailey, and he's, 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 Watkins has the angle, just fucking wrap that into the bottom corner, um, the second one I think is a good save and then the third one, in fairness to Watkins, the touch, the first touch of his head, the reaction that that ball coming back at him was really impressive. And he, he eventually hammers it in off a defender. <laughs> <laughs> it was uh, it was comedy stuff, but he's great to see him get on the score sheet. Yeah, like you said, there you never have to ask Ollie Watkins four times to take a chance like that <laughs> from the same spot. <laughs> Yeah, and after about 55 minutes, I was thinking the only thing that's missing today is a goal for Ollie Watkins. I mean, yeah. that would really that would really crown it off as well because he hasn't scored very many goals this season and this would be a great time for him to try and build up a bit of confidence. And if this goal was Leon Bailey's only involvement in the game, it would have justified his selection. Yeah. I mean, the run is brilliant and the pass, the, the pass, my God, it's one of, it's one of my favourite things a football player can do and they're... There are plenty of things I associate with Leon Bailey, like averaging a goal every game or being one of the best wingers in the world. But not dicking around isn't one of them. And the ruthlessness of that pass is just beautiful. And the execution of it is out of this world. And you're right, the first finish is really bad from Watkins. I mean, he has so much time. The defender sold himself quicker than Nicolas Cage when his agent begins a sentence with, do you want to be in? And Watkins... <laughs> And Watkins just drills it straight down his throat. It's really disappointing. Second one, yeah, Red does well. And you have to say, Watkins is probably a bit unlucky with it. But the third one sums up Ollie Watkins. The attitude, the hunger, the quality of the first touch, the header to get the ball under control. It's just everything, everything we love about him. And he gets a goal that he deserved with his performance. Yeah. We'll talk some more about Watkins as well later. And we're going to bask in the glory of this performance later. But first, we have to go to WhatsApp when you see there. <laughs> 
I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome. Like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome. Like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. I don't even have any fines to hand out today. <laughs> what the hell is going on? And you know what? I actually don't have any winges that were that I was thinking of sending to anybody on WhatsApp. So I think in the spirit of today, it's four 0 thumping of Brentford. It was a team rising like a phoenix from the ashes, <laughs> coming from nowhere. Like we were talking about being in a relegation zone. I think in that spirit, I have to introduce a new category, which I was going to bring in later in the show to excite you because I know we love a new category. <laughs> and it's called the Arn Dinks Good Crack Meter. <laughs> it was just good crack today it was good to be enjoying football and it was good that Aaron Dinks local boy you know diligent fella good experience under his belt as a coach it was just it, everything was just positive everything was great and I don't want to just sink us into WhatsApp windows just yet um, there will be some complaints later in the show don't worry if people are here for that you'll still get your film <laughs> but right now we're going to go through the good crack meter and this is just stuff that really summed up the the vibes today just you know everything was just was just ushing ushing with positivity and i think the thing that first summed it up was leon bailey really <laughs> just the way he was getting that ball under his foot getting it back out of his foot flicking it around leon bailey is probably the only individual that's going up like there's there's individuals with different assets that was happening but Leon Bailey's performance today really summed up the the good crack around Villa Park. Yeah, there's there's probably a nomination here for whatever the one for good tactics is, which I can't remember because it's been so long since we had it. <laughs> but uh, definitely uh, playing two orthodox wingers, you know, playing playing Bailey on the left wing, it was like tying Rocky's right arm behind his back. Like I'm going to teach you how to jab, you fucking <laughs> idiot, and it takes away all his worst habits, and he needed that. And he needs to have it reinforced every week now. The idea, the idea being that if you play Leon Bailey on the left, he might be more inclined to go around the outside every once in a while instead of wanting to cut back in. He was still cutting in today, but he did it whenever whenever it was on now because he yeah. doesn't trust his right foot as much. So he wanted the space there. And he's not just desperately trying to get on this right foot. 
And like we said a couple of weeks ago, it gives the defender a second thing to think about. Because if yeah. you're just cutting inside every time, then Leon Bailey is going to get the ball taken off him every time. And he was fucking brilliant today because he's got so much natural ability. And then he was told that he can go in both directions just simply by playing him on the left wing. It was brilliant. Yeah. I think the next thing going up on the good crack meter was Ollie Watkins' celebration. I mean, none of this shit that you can't celebrate against your old club. <laughs> he celebrated like a madman, like going straight over to the whole damn knee slide, and he's doing this after missing two sitters. <laughs> and he gets the third chance against his former team. His fists are going, he's screaming. Like, it's always great seeing Danny Ng come over and lifting him up as well. I thought that was brilliant, and that really... We've talked about it capping the performance as well, but it summed up the, the good crack nature of today. Yeah, well, exactly. But you, you said it there. He's celebrating against his former team. Like, why <laughs> would you not celebrate against your former team? It's mad you're currently employed by Aston Villa. And even just for the optics of it, even just to keep your own fans, your current fans, the people who are essentially paying your wages... If just to keep them on side, fucking celebrate. You've just scored. We're all delighted. We want to fucking believe that the players who we pay the salaries off essentially are happy to be there as well. And the best way to do that is whenever you do the absolute pinnacle of the sport and score a goal, then fucking cheer it. He had the chance to go afterwards. He did. I think he saw him like going over and shaking hands with some of the coaching staff that he might know after. He can still say hello. <laughs> exactly. he, can still, he can still be signed to people that you like, but you're playing for a different team. And I actually think of all the teams that you get to score against, if you got to pick, you would pick your former team. I, I think I would prefer to do that because you are going back to your former team. You're moved on. You will always want to validate your decision to move on. You want them to miss you. Like, I think if you had that, sometimes you have it even in five aside. If you swap teams, you want to you want to show the other team now what they're missing and, not, and make it obvious that you are a big difference in that team. And that's the <laughs> best way to do it, to score a goal. Yeah, the, but the other thing about it is nobody cares as well. I mean, whenever... <laughs> Whenever Danks leads us into the Conference League and we're playing against Trapsonspor next year, you know, if if Trezeguet scores against us and celebrates, I'm not going to care. Trezeguet plays for Trapsonspor. Let them fucking, let them celebrate if they score. I'll be just annoyed that they have scored against us. Not that Trezeguet is happy to have done what his job is. <laughs> going up on the Iron Dinks, good crack meter. Emmy Buendia is tackling. He, he just goes for it, doesn't he? Like, he, he commits, and he can do that because he's got the structure behind him. He's got two holding midfielders, and he chops at it. It's almost like he's setting traps. You ever, when you're playing against shit players, you do you <laughs> pretend like you've sold yourself, and then you swing your heel back to, to get it then because they think they're away. You've planted, say, your left leg, and then you swing your right leg back around, and you get it. he is at this all the time, this sort of carry on, and he nicks a lot of balls away from people, and... He's just allowed to go do it. He's allowed to just go and try and win the ball. And if he, like I said at the start, if you don't win it, it doesn't matter. Just come back and try and win it again. Yeah, you shouldn't have brought that up. You just brought back a lot of flashbacks of you actually getting planted by players who weren't shit and you weren't doing it intentionally. But, <laughs> uh, <laughs> but, but uh, yeah, Buendia, Buendia had, yeah, right, he had the ability to do that because of the structure that was around him. 
and he has to fly into tackles. He has to buzz around because he is so physically weak as well. That's yeah. the best way for him to do it. He has to launch himself into it. And if anybody's going to give away a free kick, you want it to be Buendia 40 yards from the opposition's goals as opposed to you know forcing Douglas Louise to eventually do it because they're being overrun in midfield. Yeah, I just thought that summed up the... There's a lot of differences today, but seeing Buendia buzzing around, trying to win the ball, pressing high, it just sets a tone as well for everybody else. It was uh, it was good to see the the handball chance from the crowd. Like they were absolutely brilliant when Brentford <laughs> were appealing. Very Jesus, this was um ambitious stuff from them. They were looking for a handball and Villa for the next minute. Every time a player kicked the ball, you just heard handball, handball. <laughs> I mean, how do you coordinate that so quickly? Brilliant stuff. <laughs> yeah, and the best thing about it was indiscriminate. It didn't matter who touched the ball. The yeah. ball was being shouted. That was amazing. It was great crack. Uh, going up, Danny Ings, um, and Danny Ings with the flicks. I mean, he scored two goals. Obviously, he's going up in the Vyman meter. That that's um that's a given. But on the good crack meter, like the way he was just flicking these balls around the corner, it was unbelievable. There was one really nice one where Watkins and Buendia stepped over it to each other in separate occasions and like played it back to each other as well. And then it comes to Ings. Leon Bailey's gone around the back. This front four. I mean, talk about good crack, like just playing together and Ings. Just, <laughs> Ings just flicks it the outside of his boot. He's facing the other direction, but he's playing the ball towards the Brentford goal. Ah, brilliant stuff. He's done that a few times. He said Ollie Watkins away at one stage for that handball. This boy, this boy is is tricky or creative as well when you give him the ball back to goal. But we probably just haven't done it enough. Yeah, but like I said as well, you know, Aston Villa's players are way better than Brentford's, and when they're playing with confidence and any sort of a structure around them, that enables you to end up taking more chances because if you're obviously if you're confident things are coming off a lot better you're hitting the ball more cleanly and you're also your head's more tuned in you know where your other players are and whenever you've got a structure you definitely know where your other players are as well i mean i think it was very very easy for those for that front forward today as well and we probably come back to it later as well but that front four was set up to absolutely exploit and destroy that back three and it worked a treat and that was really emphasized by the amount of times Danny Ings was playing the ball with his back in the heat. Yeah. The last one going up on the Iron Dings, good crack meter. Tracks it over shirt and tie. <laughs> we got a tweet from Andy. He said, finally, after that performance, we get back to the more important fashion segments of the Villa podcast. And I have to agree with him. I mean... <laughs> We like we don't like a manager doesn't need to be wearing a shirt and tie. Like I'm slagging Gareth Southgate for sitting in the stand with a shirt and tie. A manager doesn't need it on the sideline, does he? It's all wrong. All wrong for Steven Gerrard. He needs to have a think about the type of manager he wants to be. And I mean that by the the wardrobe choices that he's that he's bringing to the sideline because it's not him. It's not that comfortable. Look at Aaron Dankser. Just just look at good crack. He <laughs> 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 just looked comfortable. He looked like a coach. Um, look at like you know you, you wouldn't see Jurgen Klopp standing in a shirt and tie on the sideline. Pep Guardiola <laughs> wears whatever the fuck he wants. Just just wear something comfortable. Radiate that positivity. That I think the shirt and tie. Now that I think about it, really was a personification of the the stiffness that Aston Villa had for the last year. Yeah, it, it probably won't surprise you that I couldn't give a flying fuck what the managers wearing. <laughs> What might surprise you is that uh, I'll, I'll allow it. I'll allow you to talk about fashion on today's podcast. <laughs> You're feeling good. I'm feeling good. Yeah, well, here that's good. That, that, that's definitely the most 
positive WhatsApp wing section that we've ever had. And it's all thanks to Aaron Dinks. Uh, great, great day for the boys. We're going to go out and hand out some awards now after this. All these. Right, get over it. It's Aston Villa FC, not Jack Grealish FC. Get a fucking grip. <laughs> Somebody called me a wanker. Let us mourn. Somebody called me a freak. We, we've just gotten the news. It's devastating. We're upset. Somebody reported me to the Villa podcast on Twitter. <laughs> Did these people turn up to funerals or wakes saying, come on, get over it? It's the Doherty family, not the great Auntie Margaret family. It's time to find out what Uncle Jimmy's really made of. Time for Auntie Barbara to step up. <laughs> Fucking psychopaths, let me mourn. I'll rally around the Doherty family. I want them to do well. I want them to succeed, but I'm fucking devastated. It's not going to be the same without Margaret. R.I.P. Auntie Margaret. Let's start with the Ronnie Rosenthal Award. And like I say, we were already two goals up before we had to worry about any of this. And I think probably the best thing about today was that there wasn't any massive chances from an Aston Villa point of view where you thought you fucking cunt put that away <laughs> well maybe Watkins is to start off with but we're already 3-0 up and then he did score at the third bite the first nomination is Ollie Watkins um, it was a brilliant outside of the boot pass from Emmy Martin I don't know if you remember that just mm. ah, the torpedo like it went from obviously caught the ball I was going to say from his own box of course <laughs> It's the goalkeeper. He wins the ball. It's Ollie Watkins is obviously taken off already. And um just the direction of that pass from Martinez goes around the inside of the defender, travels to the outside of him, around the other side where Watkins is. Watkins is all on his own. He just sort of look Bailey is now surrounded by four people who are getting back with Bailey, so Watkins just has a spank and actually gets a corner from it, so that wasn't really a big chance. Uh, the second chance then is, is Emi Buendia. I mean, the beauty of this is that it starts with Emi Buendia talking about him setting the tempo, and he charges the goalkeeper down. Brentford are trying to keep possession, but Villa were all over him, like a, just like a bad rash, really, and the ball comes to Leon Bailey, who gets it Danny Ings. <laughs> we're talking about Danny Ings of his little flicks. He back it now into Emi Buendia, who's on the left-hand side, and he just hits it wide of his left foot, and we can go through some other nominations, but the other one I want to mention here is Watkins teeing up Douglas Louise and ah, Douglas Louise hits it. He does hit it, but it just flies by the post. Yeah, the, the first one, the, yeah, I know you've said it, but it's worth mentioning again. The pass is just out of this world from Martinez. And then the other thing I loved about that as well, the drive in the run and the shot, it really shows you how versatile Watkins is and how you, it's not that difficult to get a lot out of a player like Ollie Watkins and he shouldn't have been struggling for so long. Mm. The Buendia one, the, the interplay is absolutely gorgeous. I mean, the back, the back heel was probably a bit cumbersome and probably even a bit unnecessary for how for how the play <laughs> had opened up, but probably necessary for our collective well-being, as you were talking about, just bringing a bit of joy back into our Sunday afternoons. And the Louise spank, the, the thing I remember most about that is that Danny Ings' face as the ball was just whipping by it. I mean, it's 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 a mix of fear, probably that the the ball is just whistling past his ear. <laughs> but but it could also just have been fear of this new world where the players are passing the ball forward to Aston Villa players. 
where, where if Watkins tries to turn and it doesn't work out, he'll pop it back off to a teammate in a better position instead of just having a shit shot onto a defender's ankle. Where it looks like we can win football matches when we're proactively trying to actually win it. But I know I know change can be scary, but don't be afraid, Danny. Like we wanted this for so long. And I know I know our lives seem like they had become about the chase and the hunt of looking for this, but now that we've caught it, it's it's it is hard to adapt, but enjoy it, celebrate it. Like don't feast too much, obviously, because you have to defend it now every week and show that you deserve it because the fucking fans deserve it. Yeah. <laughs> Those three chances, in fairness, they probably do really really show off the, the change that happened from Thursday night to today and from the season to today, really. And the Buendia, well, like Ollie Watkins, yeah, like getting the shift back out of him. The, the the shot from when things are about to break down, keeping possession, finding the right pass, giving it to Douglas Louise and a better chance. And that point, the year one as well, I just think not being afraid to press and not get the block down, but just putting the team under enough pressure that they're now scrambling and getting the rest of your team. We're going to come back to Douglas Louise, but how often was he just in front? He was in front of the Brentford midfield picking, picking their pockets, really, because he was expecting the balls to come in because the balls weren't as good they were being rushed from the Brentford backline and and yeah the Danny Ings thing maybe is cumbersome but just feeling good he's feeling good Emmy Buendia hits it wide and it's harmless enough but that's getting the crowd going like that's just feeding that energy back into the stands and that's that's all we want <laughs> I often they say we're not asking for much and they're just showing intent there with those moves uh, the next nomination is probably the biggest chances that we had that we didn't score is another Douglas Louise corner. Well, Douglas Louise corner almost goes in initially and it comes out and the donker gets a sort of snatch shot at it. But I think Watkins does well to intervene and divert it in a different direction. But then the keeper makes a good save. It comes back out to Matt Cash. He's not going to turn down the opportunity to have a spank. And the keeper uh, tips it wide for a corner. Yeah, the the three same the three saves from Ray are all out of this world, particularly the fingertip from the corner. Yeah. And this this preposterous new dimension to our game is just so exciting because it will enable us to have so much variability in our corners. I mean, the, the same way the same way Bailey treats both sides of the fullback as a legitimate route to advance down. <laughs> like this this is going to cause huge difficulty for opposition set piece coaches, as we saw for the first goal as well. Yeah. And yeah, maybe Watkins can divert the ball a little bit more, but it's, again, it's a shot that's flashing past him. So if he, if he does, if the keeper does it well to save it, Watkins does well to get something on it. The cash drive, it's a good spank, and it's an, it's another great save from Ray. Yeah, one more nomination really it wasn't really a big chance, but it just showed the again, it's just the attacking sort of relaxation that we had. You know, Douglas Louise gets in with a slight tackle, wins the ball back. Comes Emmy Bundy, he's got options, takes a shot, shot's pretty shit, it's straight on. Um, but again, gets the crowd off their feet, and I think Brentford probably deserved the winner of this category, though it was uh how do you pronounce it? Buemo. It was his his chance at the end where it's a shot from Jensen. Emmy Martin is powers it away and he's got the rebound and he should score, but he geez, he hits it wide and some their day up really. Ah, yeah, it was absolutely brutal. Young had fallen asleep as well at the edge of the box and let him drift in there. He has to score that. Christ almighty, can you imagine if that was Watkins? <laughs> uh, so he's the winner. There's only one nomination, so therefore only one winner of the Peter Enkelman What the Fuck Award. And I don't even know if you would remember this. It could probably be a potential fine for Matt Cash, who tried a Trent Alexander-Arnold first-time ping across the pitch. 
Uh, Tyro Mings was on the right hand side and he takes a ball down from I think it's from the keeper. It's just stayed up from from set piece. Takes it down brilliantly on the right hand side. Gets it back to Cash. He was now trying to switch the play first time to Bailey. I think terrible fucking pass. It's actually bending so far away from Bailey. It's going back towards Villa's half <laughs> before it goes out for a throw in. So uh, every which way, Matt Cash just balls that up. Just just stay in your lane, Matt. Like I know I'm talking about switching the play here, but just you switch that to Dougie and he'll switch it. Like that's you have to, <laughs> you have to make peace, but we need to get an extra pass to get that ball across. And I'm happy enough for that. Yeah, I, I think we ventured into WhatsApp when just with you declaring that there was no fines to be handed out this week, and I was just thinking, I guarantee you, one of those players kicked the ball in a play under no pressure today, and I was right as a turns out. <laughs> but it was just such a joyous occasion that you couldn't remember it at the time. Yeah. Yeah, so we'll have to have a chat with Matt Cash about about his week's wages. That is going to come back up. A player find and touch unnecessarily. And this time at the other side of the pitch as well. That's a rare one. Normally it's, <laughs> it's at least on the same flank that they're on. The Tim Sherwood. Welcome back to Tim Sherwood. <laughs> the Tim Sherwood, of course. We played, we played two number 10s and bamboozled them. It's been a long fucking time. This is Tim Sherwood. Here's Conan and Liam to bamboozle you. <laughs> Nick sent us a message to say it's a time to put a 30 million release clause on Aaron Dinks. <laughs> <laughs> it probably is because you've already mentioned Bailey on the left. That That's one of the nominations already. Like That just opens up a whole world of possibilities. It's a new world order now with Leon Bailey on the left. Um, but I think the nature of this as well is the 4-2-3-1 that he, that he brought in. That worked, but do you know what else the four two three one did? So this is three nominations and one goal for Aaron Dinks. The four two three one allowed Aston Villa to play Emiliano Buendia, Danny Ings, Leon <laughs> Bailey. They truly are the future. For the first time, they started and like I've always said, Conan. They truly are the future. <laughs> for the first time, they started together and they were fucking electrifying. This is why. This is one of the reasons why signing Kamara and subsequently Dendonker as well was so exciting and so necessary. It was it was that ability to change things up, to switch between a 4-2-3-1 and a 4-3-3. And this was obviously one of the reasons as well why making, why making McGinn captain was silly. Because we were hamstrung into playing a certain way whenever he was made captain because he had to play and he can't play in this system. And just the relief that that gave the team, the relief that that gave that front four. And like I said, not only did that front four play brilliantly together, they absolutely exploited the way Brentford were set up. It was set up to get at that back that back three that they had. And Jesus Christ, did they get at them. Watkins and Bailey were so dynamic, so ruthless, so aggressive, just running into those channels behind the, behind the wing-backs that they never had a fucking chance. And it would have been incredible had we not won that game of how well those two players were playing in those positions. Yeah. Do you know what else is a nomination? Is in the second half in particular, and I don't know if this was an instruction or just smart players reacting to what's happening on the pitch in front of them, but Buendia and Bailey, I know they started sharing that load down the flank because there was a lot of work to do, especially in the second half when Brentford yeah. tweaked the system a little bit and they obviously had the ascendancy. And you could see then Bailey dropping into the centre and letting Buendia go down and do that work for him. And this is around the same time where I'm talking about, I thought Bailey was certainly tired, but maybe that was the sort of thing then. They still had enough in Bailey's legs. He'd drive up the wing. He created that goal out of nothing, that fourth goal, because 
he was skillful and fast and had enough on his legs. And I think it probably was just that sharing of the work rate, just communication and smarts, really. And it probably also sums up how fucking fit is Ollie Watkins? He just never stops. He never tires. He never drops a level, no matter what he's doing, where he's playing. It's just always at the same level. They never seem to have to worry about it. Yeah, and and even whenever Wendy and Bailey were switching into those, you know, switching positions, sorry, and to cover defensive, there was no, there didn't seem to be any overt communication about it or any whinging about it. They just dropped into the position and just did their job that they had yeah. to do, and then swapped back out. And yeah, Ollie Walker. That's not the first time Ollie Walkins has been taken off. <laughs> it's in, it's incredible what his engine's like. It's absolutely insane. Is that a nomination? That like, is that just out of respect to Danny Ings, who's on a hat trick and we're, we're winning the game? I'll put Cameron Archer on the wing here. Is that a nomination, or is it a Glenn Whedon nomination that he didn't put Cameron Archer <laughs> up top? Maybe we'll give Aaron Dings a free pass this time. Yeah, but like I, I, I was glad he left Ings on. I hate whenever players are taken off when it, when they've got two. <laughs> yes, yeah. particularly in a game that's easy enough for the team as well. And like, yeah, I mean, it's not this really low risk that he was going to get injured in the way that game was going as well. But I would have liked to have seen if Archer is going to come on to put him on at centre forward and let him try and get a goal as well. Yeah, thanks, nose ball. <laughs> <laughs> he respects the hat trick. Um. The final nomination for the Tim Sherwood We Play Two Number Tens and Bamboozled Them Award is multiple substitutions at the same time. I think we've got a manager who understands how this subs rule works and it's refreshing. Brendan said, I mean, come on, thanks for just showing off now. I mean, he was, <laughs> he was very aware that if he wants to get five people on the pitch, he's got three second half windows. Therefore, I need to think about how I can add up to five doing this. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, no, that was that was definitely heartening. Although it's my manager, <laughs> yeah, it's it's heartening and great that he did it. But it's not really something we should be. It's not something I want to dwell on because it just brings back too many bad memories. I mean, the fact the fact that this is nominating is actually just upsetting. It's it's almost like I got PSTD here now thinking about it. What do you think the winner is there? Um, there's so many options because I think getting a tune out of Wendy Ings and Bailey starting together actually as well not only getting the tune out of them is good because it's a big investment that's your jack Grealish money and we haven't ever started these boys together um four two three one which is what a lot of people had been crying for like please let us see it let's let's see it in action bailey on the left ah, that, that that might be it it's so obvious but nobody had done it um yeah the multiple subs maybe isn't just a high tech enough for for a nomination here but i'm going to go with bailey on the left what are you going for I'm going to go for looking to exploit the opposition. So that's that, that ties it all in. I mean, that that's what we were doing. That's what a manager should try to do. He should look at who he's playing against and think about how he's going to try and hurt them. Where's the space going to be? And we absolutely did that today. And he thought that the best way to do that was to was to go for a 4-2-3-1, which I'm sure all our managers, Smith and Gerrard, have thought as well. But they never had the fucking common sense to take McGinn out of the firing line in that case. I mean... That like that, that absolutely John McGinn can't play in the four two three one. I mean, it's it's so so clear, and it had been so clear, and so many times we tried to do it. So the fact that he made that change to exploit Brentford, and then also had the adequate or picked the personnel because everyone has had the adequate personnel to do that, picked the right personnel to to play that system was brilliant. Do you like them? We didn't take a ninetieth minute penalty award. Only one nomination, but. 
It has to be Jacob Ramsey. Hard done by. Um, and maybe it's not just the manager who can deserve a nomination for this. I think the Telegraph, the news outlet, deserve a nomination as well for running a full article about John McGinn being dropped and including in it one line about Jacob Ramsey also being dropped. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, hang on, there is a story here somewhere and it's jo- it's Jacob Ramsey being dropped. That's the thing that's going to upset Villa fans most. Like, it's hard to argue with the way we played today. Uh, I think hindsight for me and obviously foresight for uh, Aaron Dinks showed that this team will work really well against Brentford. But hard to see, hard to see JJ getting dropped. Yeah, it, it is It is tough to see. That I think you're right to nominate the Telegraph because everything we just said there would would make us think and understand that dropping Ramsey was absolutely appropriate. And that's what I was saying about signing Kamara. Gave us the option to do this. And giving McGinn the captaincy was bonkers because it meant we couldn't do it then afterwards. Yeah. And it, like because we've got Douglas Louise, John McGinn and Jacob Ramsey, we should be able to, to pick between those players. And Jacob Ramsey will not play every game at this stage of his career. He's too young. He's got too much to learn. And the games will demand that we play a 4-2-3-1. And whenever it demands that, unless we're playing against an incredible team and we might have to play Jacob Ramsey on the wing to give us a bit more cover, he's not going to play in those games. And that's absolutely fine. But the idea of writing a, an article about John McGinn is mad. I mean, John McGinn has been so bad. He's been such a bad captain as well. I mean, is he calling Dougie's red card a moment of madness? As, as the captain, imagine saying that. But he must think the fucking Board of Appeal turned up for work in a shirt tie and a straitjacket. <laughs> and, and Lee Hendry was talking about John McGinn being dropped as well saying he, he hasn't been one of the top performers but it would be hard to pick out someone who was that's true but it wouldn't be very hard to pick out the worst performers and John McGinn absolutely was one of those so him being dropped deserved no article from the Telegraph and certainly Jacob Ramsey being dropped did I think this segues us on nicely while, while we're down here in the pits let's stay here for a couple of minutes because um, I did want to talk about some things we need to bin now as part of the, a new culture that we're going to create now for the next hopefully it'll be longer than the next 11 months we, when Stephen Gerrard <laughs> came in we had a long list of things that we wanted to see change and there's obviously new things now that have come in I think I think maybe the biggest indictment of, of Gerrard's time is that He's made the job a lot more unattractive. And maybe with one 90-minute spell there, Aaron Dinks has started to reverse that immediately, which is really good to see. Gerard made the job look difficult, like sort of toxic and clunky. He made it look way more clunky to outsiders anyway. Like it looked like, it probably looks like a basket case club, you know, one of those clubs that are changing managers and they've no real sort of grasp of, of reality. The fans are too... Uh, too demanding, too much expectation, and the club don't understand where they're at. The job Stephen Gerrard took over wasn't that hard. It was actually, it was very neat. There was a lot of low-hanging fruit. The structure was there. Dean Smith had laid a lot of very solid foundations, and I just feel like Gerrard took a sledgehammer to it and absolutely crushed through it. And it's sort of like, there's a lot of things now that he's left in the last 11 months that I think we need to we need to bin. So there's no cool name for this other than things we need to bin. <laughs> so uncool. You've said it four times in the last 20 seconds. <laughs> and I think it starts with the words all in. <laughs> Do people understand what all in is? I mean, <laughs> it obviously comes from poker, right? 
you can still be in a game and progressing and, and making the right decisions every time you build in your little pile methodically without hanging over a fucking ledge saying it's now or never i'm going all in like you don't have to push it all in and then put it all on this next move jared kept saying that i think he was trying to show his commitment you can still be playing that game without risking everything and i noticed that mick beal when did it become mick beal by the way he used to be michael beal until he joined qpr but i noticed mick beal saying it too after um after he was interviewed by Wolves and then decided to stay with QPR. But but basically, if you go all in without the cards, you're fucking gambling. And Stephen Gerrard never had the cards. So I'd like to hear those words banned, like consigned to history in Aston Villa. Yeah, well, like you would also hope that the, the predilection for gambling such extremes would just be gone as well. And we would be a bit more, a bit more calm and a bit more methodical. Like it was a gamble higher in Gerard. I mean we all we all got a bit giddy at the time. But uh <laughs> let's let's just be let's just be clear about this now. Let's think about who we want to who we want to have in and let's be clear about what that manager wants and go after that. But don't be don't be taking risky decisions and risky investments of players who are, you know, approaching their thirties. Let's just be calmer about this. Let's keep the good things that we had going in place instead of gambling with the future. The second thing we need to bin, no surprise to anybody, probably don't need to dwell on it, but the the Aston Villa social media interviewers, mm. um, just <laughs> don't mind them, they're doing the work, obviously putting in a lot of hours, just just let the police, give the players the phone and let them just speak to the camera for two minutes, um, I don't need you creating the narrative for them, I want to hear the, the raw and filtered honesty, don't you lead them down a path that nobody wants to, wants to watch them in, the John McGinn armband needs to be binned, right, yeah, no arguments there. No, absolutely not. But it's it's going to be tricky to do that mid season. But it's made a lot a lot easier now. But a changing manager. Jesus, Arn Dank should just come out now and say until John McGinn looks me in the eye and say. <laughs> but like th- this is this is the thing. Midfield over the summer after we signed in Donker as well, particularly became one of our strongest positions, and it's a position that requires people to be changed. So you can't have you can't have a centre midfielder whenever there's no obvious guaranteed starter. As your captain, yeah. Bednarek? <laughs> Is that a bit harsh? I mean, I'm still, maybe I'm uh, too much of a Courtney Howes fanboy. I'm still unsure of, of how we landed here with Jan Bednarek on loan. Callum Chambers came on today, and it was good to see him. I was like, oh Jesus, yeah, like where the fuck's he been? Why has he been demoted so so low? I'm a big fan of Kanza and Mings. Um, yeah. Like, is Bednarek's time up? Did you tell me at the weekend that that Bednarek getting picked ahead of, or during the week that Bednarek getting picked ahead of Cash was tactical and it wasn't it yeah. wasn't through injury? We actually on his last podcast on his last uh, showing up to the you like Glen Whedon taking 90th minute penalty awards. Stephen Gerrard got away with a big one, and that was that was dropping Matt Cash for Jan Bednarek so we could put Kanza right back. So Kanza could deal with the Mitrovic threat, which he did not do, and he did not deal with the William threat. That was of a lot of bad decisions that got increasingly worse over the last few months. That was one of Stephen Gerrard's worst, I think. Yeah, and but I know Young showed up well for one chance where he had to come in and and take care of Mitrovic, but Jesus Christ, it, Fulham could have just easily have looked at that and put and switched yeah. Mitrovic over to the other side. It wouldn't have been very difficult. We're going to change the angle of our attack slightly and we're going to get after Young, who's smaller than Cash. Yeah. 
the four centre backs there, one of them looks a little different than the other three. So um <laughs> yeah, put it over to him, the very small one over there. Uh, that was that was that was a stinker from Steven Gerrard, really. And probably I think during that podcast on Thursday night we talked about the players losing respect for him with his time wasting. You know, just the instructions that are obviously given to the players to slow this thing down. We're away at Fulham, lads. But my God, like what what would they have thought? before the game when he's saying like we're going to reshuffle everything forget forget about forget about this system that i've been trying like you know to, to implement no matter what happens I, i'm i am wedged to this narrow system and it's all about the fullbacks give me the width forget about that now we're going to play a center back right there <laughs> yeah and but just even the signing of bedner i can remember at the time we were thinking Jared's obsessed with this idea of having four centre-backs so he could cover for injuries. And then the second one of them gets injured. He's like, I need to have another centre-back. I'm like, no! This is why you had four in the first place! <laughs> yeah, yeah, you get completely distracted with that. Um, the next thing we need to bin, a quote, the owners are ambitious. <laughs> <laughs> they don't want an unnecessary, you know, drive-by on them, but... Uh... Until I start seeing this club <laughs> moving forward, let's just let's just move forward one step at a time. We don't need to start chatting shite all the time about Champions League football and where the owners want to be. And they are if they are ambitious, give us more money. Let's start spending more into this team. Let's go out and get <laughs> the top of the range manager. Like not taking a punt on some. Let's 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 do it. Let's see the ambition. Always let me be relieved of hearing those words. The owners are ambitious. Yeah, let's let's see how ambitious they are by how we're playing on the pitch, which will be dictated by the manager and the players that the owners are overseeing. Yeah, the last one things we need to bin, and probably the most important one, are the team leaks. This this is still going on. Like, who the fuck is doing this? Like, how how did the Telegraph know that both Jacob Ramsey and John McGinn are not playing? How did they know that a day in advance? Who is the weasel in the changing room? That's letting all this stuff out we 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 got rid of a pile of the coaching staff so it must be a player unless it's fucking austin mcphee there in the background not working on defensive set pieces just spilling stuff to the press he <laughs> what's going on who who is this player we need to we need to employ colleen rooney in there <laughs> the leaks came from jacob ramsey's account <laughs> the, the only other person Conan, who has been consistently there through this of course is our current manager, Mr. Aaron Banks. And maybe maybe he was just so proud of the fact that he was ditching John McGinn that he just couldn't wait to get the telegraph on the phone to tell him. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, all right. Let's go to the Vyman meter. Um, if we have any more things we need to bin, we're all ears because we will have a new manager in the next few weeks. So it probably will be good to talk about a new culture. So give, give us a shout on Twitter uh, at the Villa Podcast or get us on Gmail, the Villa Podcast at gmail.com. But the Vyman meter, uh, I think we'll start with going down, and then we can then we can bring this podcast back up again and end on a high. <laughs> the, the only person I have going down is uh, Philip Coutinho. He's, he's he's the one player today who didn't have a rocket up his arse. Like he, I just there's a lot of lazy tackles. Like he was very sloppy. He looked very sleepy. His head was down. It was just so out of kilter with with the rest of them and and the rest of the atmosphere that was happening today. Yeah, he was he was so far out of kilter. He was playing with himself, really, and it looked like his fucking ma walked in and caught him as well. I mean, he was <laughs> he was a shambles. He, he was a mess. He, he looked like he was embarrassed to be there as well a little bit. Everything he was doing, his touch, his passing, it was 
he was shite, yeah. Definitely without a doubt. Yeah. All right, going up. <laughs> <laughs> Leander the Donker, the gadget man. I mean, this guy... <laughs> This guy's legs just get into nooks that, that, that you couldn't dream of getting into. They get, they get around people, they get in through them and pull the ball back and away we go. And He's just been sitting there the whole time. And he's like, It reminds me of one of these boys that show up to, to five a side or six or seven a side. He's playing for the other team and he's not that good. you know. So it's so fucking annoying that you can't get past him. And it feels like he's always on you. He's like, keep it because you're you're the best player, so he's coming to keep an eye on you. And, <laughs> and you you get this personal battle going, and then you want to take it by him, but you can't. He just doesn't fucking stop. He keeps getting in the way. He's too awkward. He's not going to light the place up when he gets the ball back. But geez, he's a handy player. And as soon as you switch teams, like I'm talking about, you are delighted to be on his team. Why do you keep talking about switching five aside teams? What are you telling me here, Connor? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, he was he was brilliant. He was brilliant today, and it was great to see that as well. I I could only realised during the week as well. Whenever we were chatting, I was like, "Jesus, Leander and Donker plays for us, doesn't he? We actually signed him. This is insane. It seems so weird. Like it, it seems so weird that he's a part of the team that we were able to get him so easily in the summer as well because he is a good player. And then the weirder thing was how bad and how irrelevant he was after we signed him. He was either not being used." Or whenever he got on the pitch, he wasn't doing anything which justified him not being used. Yeah. It's incredible that he see now that we've seemed to have signed a player who has always been good for Wolves and who is a Belgian international. It's so strange because these stories were coming out then. I think there was one in the Athletic. Obviously, I think the purpose of them was to make Gerard look good about his time at Villa. And it was maybe Gerard given a couple of weeks after he got sacked, but you know, this stuff that was trying to paint Gerard in a good light, like, for instance, he personally was part of the reason they signed a few players and one of them was Donker. After the Arsenal game, they lost, got straight on the phone and FaceTimed Donker, and his passion apparently won him over. And Why Why was Gerard panicking so much to get this boy in if he, if he wasn't going to use him then when he got him in, especially after his defensive midfielder got injured? It was weird, the lack of use for him. Yeah, I- it was. It definitely was. I think. I think the weirder thing that was, and it probably sums up the rain. Without getting too negative again, was the fact that Stephen Gerrard was making transfer decisions on the back of a game of football. Like, where is the fucking long term plan there? They're, oh my god, the best team in the league beat us. We better fucking sign somebody. Christ Almighty. Uh, going up the Kanza Mings partnership. Um, good to see that getting back to, to where it can be. I also have going up, and it's probably obligatory at this stage, Mr. Ashley Young, um, for one very specific reason as well. He didn't mince Bueno. Do you remember the counter-attack mm. they were going on? It was down the right-hand side, and Bueno was looking for the foul. He just kicked the ball ahead, and he thought Young, and I thought Young was going to mince him, and I thought, yeah, just fucking do it. Take the yellow. We're out of, we're out of position here. They're on the break. And just, jeez, what a... What a pro. What an old head. Just go shoulder to shoulder with him. And it's like, I'll see what he does with this ball. And then if he does keep it in play, then maybe I will bring him down. But actually, I'll, I'll take a look. And oh, there, he's just kicked it out of play. I'll go take the throw in. Thank you very much. What a man. Yeah, exactly, yeah. And you, you thought correctly. He was he was going to mince him. We, were all, we all thought correctly there. <laughs> but he was ready to not mince him as well. That's the difference between Ashley Young and any mere mortal. Because you can see him lining it up as well. He's like, fuck, this guy's obviously faster than me. Well, maybe he's not actually. Ashley Young has out-sprinted Kevin De Bruyne this season. I don't think about it. <laughs> what a fucking hero. Going up. And probably his best game. 
he played a couple of really good games in number eight, but fuck me, this Douglas Louise is a Douglas Louise I can get on board with. Like, my God, I, I, the amount of ball he intercepted today, I talked about him getting in front all the time, sliding tackles, setting off moves again, lovely little interplay in the middle, so sharp with his passing, looking up. Thank God he wasn't suspended. He was he was absolutely brilliant. It was like and like he's obviously good on the ball and his corners are a joke, like you say, they're preposterous. But it was like he became a a different player, a fucking monster. I was starting to think of Bruce Wayne turning into Hulk like he wasn't. He didn't suddenly grow into Gadget Man like the Donker beside him. But <laughs> immediately they've set up this partnership. I think Steve O sent us a message to say it's a better partnership. Dougie Louise and the Donker than Dougie Louise and Alicia Lehman and the <laughs> But like he was like they were both brilliant. Douglas Louise was like he was plugged into the Matrix, just knew every single thing every single Brentford player was thinking about before they even thought about it themselves. Yeah, it really would be something to see Bruce Wayne turn into the Hulk as well. That would have been incredible to see. He's Batman, he was, isn't he? <laughs> he was that's just how good Douglas Louise was. He looked like Batman turning into the Hulk. Bruce Banner, is it? <laughs> I have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> I was really hoping when I was slagging you off there, you weren't going to have the obvious follow-up question, which would catch me <laughs> out. Uh, but yeah, Jesus Christ, Douglas Louise was brilliant. And we've all wanted to see him play in that six-and-a-half role as well, whether it is a midfield three or next to somebody who's just a bit more solid than him. And when he's given that license to... To go and press and to go and tackle. Why is he better at tackling whenever he's not the last man? It's insane. Because <laughs> every time you see Douglas Louise play in this yeah. position or in the number eight, you're just thinking, geez, he could easily play in the number six yeah. position. Yeah. And then every time he's in there, he's a fucking disaster. <laughs> yeah, they just doesn't want the pressure. Maybe that's what it is. The pressure's off and he can go tackle how he likes. And it turns out when he tackles how he likes, he's very good at it. It's a. Uh... Yeah, yeah, but how many how many times have we seen Douglas Louise? Well, you were talking about there getting in front of the man. How many times have we seen him try to do that and just not get there as well? And then it's just you know four on two against Cotton's and Mings behind him. <laughs> but whenever he's in that position, maybe it's the confidence. Maybe he knows that he can risk it and not get there, and so he just gets there to them as well because he's trying a little bit harder and he's not worried about what's behind him or what's not behind him. That's the case, maybe. When when I saw the four two three one, I thought, oh, just like I just looked at Douglas Louise and the Donker and wondered, is that is that good enough? You know, like you look at Liverpool, they're struggling with with Jones and Fabinho. <laughs> you know, sometimes you need an extra body in there, and I just I just didn't know if we had it. If we if we had that midfield that could dominate, and Christ, these boys dominated. Yeah, like in, having the Inspector Gadget and Batman Hulk in there is always going to win. <laughs> It's always going to be strong enough, Connor. I don't know what you were worried about. <laughs> uh, anybody else like Danny Ings and Ollie Watkins? I think are going up. Definitely Ollie Watkins because of the very nature of Vyman. Um Bailey, I suppose for everything. But um, maybe everybody's going up. I think Emmy Bundy as well was very much a a good Vyman performance, and I thought he grew into it too. Sometimes I I think Emmy Bundy tries too hard, but then. Mm. As the game wore on, that that trying really fed into the game. His legs were getting tired. I'm I'm going to ask you not to put Bundy up in the in the volume meter because I think I think he's got another another level to go to. I think he can be better than he was today. It was a little bit scattered. It was great that he was trying stuff. It was great that he was leading the press and his tackling was a lot better than it normally is. 
But I think Buendia can be better than that again. He made a couple of bad decisions, lost the ball a few times. The shot was fucking atrocious when he had all that. That's what that's where you want the ball to come to Emmy Buendia at the edge of the box. Just put your big toe in that and whip it around the keeper. And he just spanked it for some reason. So I think Buendia can go again. And I think he will. I think we'll play the system again. And I think Buendia will be, will be better. Yeah. All right. We'll take a quick break. And then we'll go to questions we can't answer, but probably will. Who do you think it was worse for on the bus journey home on Thursday night? Gerard, who has just been sacked and has to sit with these players now the whole way home, <laughs> or or the players who now are sitting with a manager who's just been sacked in front of them and they can't talk about it and it's the only thing they want to talk about and the only thing they're going to be reading about on the way home. But like a lot of sympathy went to Gerard on Thursday night, given the how quick and brutal the decision was to get rid of him and yeah, obviously it was done in haste because he had to take the bus home back to Birmingham anyway but I think a lot of my sympathy also goes to the players who can't talk about the only thing that's worth talking about that night I don't think it's unreasonable to expect that Stephen Gerrard could have found and even that the club would have provided another route home as well but yeah fair play to him for getting on getting onto the bus um who would I rather be in that situation? Obviously the players, because, you know, they could have just been sitting behind them making jokes and stuff. <laughs> <laughs> every time, yeah, every time you hear somebody laughing like that, though, you're going to be like, what the fuck are they laughing yeah. at? <laughs> well, you'd be thinking that anyway, given how fucking disgraceful they performed on the pitch. And you'd wonder as well, did they feel a sense of guilt then as well? And having him sitting there at the front would have really, would have really brought that home for the players. Like, you know, Jesus Christ, what have we done? Yeah. And like, I, I know, and you know that I think this as well, that, it's it's all Gerard. It's the, the the players playing shit and not being on it is his job, and that always gets mistaken, especially in a ge- a result like this. I guarantee you, you hear some of Stevie G's pals in the media coming out and you know saying things like, "Oh, where were where was that performance whenever Gerard was there?" It's like, well, it wasn't there because Gerard was there. That's part of his job is to maximize the performances of these players. So we shouldn't be having a go at the players for not playing like that. Ultimately, it's always the responsibility of the manager. Yeah, like he's, he sets the culture there. He's like he's the one in charge of of how everybody's feeling. Um, yeah, f- from from mentally right right to physically as well. Like Gerard's instructions were very clear. It was don't commit too many body forwards. So like, let's keep an eye on the house and let's keep very narrow. And it was very hard for the players to to produce the magic that he wanted them to outside of that structure then because he didn't have a lot of people to, to help out then and to play with. And yeah, and then 11 months into that then, like the best part of 12 months, that's that's wearing down on people then. They're, they're a bit confused and they're not feeling good about themselves and one loss drains into the other and the manager's calling you a cunt in the press conference. And yeah, it's just, it's it's not a, it's not a tonic for going forward really. Yeah, I'd say I'd say the most stressed people on the bus though were probably Danks and McPhee, just wondering who's going to get the big job, who's going to be called up here now in the last minute. <laughs> I did like um, Arn Danks saying that he was called and informed that he was taking the job, and he tried to <laughs> <laughs> he tried to reword that then to say I was informed to ask would I take the job sort of thing, and it was very much yeah that like that's. That's the one that I like, you know. You're taking the job now, like you know, step up, buddy. Yeah, it sounds like David Moyes, except you know, this wasn't this wasn't Danks being given a seven year contract whenever David Moyes took over at United. <laughs> uh, last question we can't answer, but probably will. 
what is it about Roy Keane that no matter how much nonsense he talks, I still think he's not getting paid enough. <laughs> it's it's amazing because like a lot of people talk shit. I mean, how often do I cry to you about Talksport? I don't think <laughs> Trevor Sinclair should be getting paid more money. <laughs> I don't think Gabby Agbon the horse should be either. They just I don't know what it is. They don't maybe they just don't have the same credibility. So when Roy Keane's stirring the pot, it just feels a bit more of an argument, like a genuine argument coming back that 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 he can make, even though he just often sounds like a dinosaur and maybe this one like this one was a bit ridiculous because Ronaldo walked out of the stadium he walked out of the stadium instead of coming on to the pitch this is a Premier League footballer's madness like that's the sort of Sunday League stuff that you hear boys like they're not playing the teams or they leave they go home but this is Premier League this is Cristiano Ronaldo he's left the stadium he didn't even leave the ground and and Keane's defending him and Roy Keane you know given the standards that he would have set as captain, but he's on Ronaldo's side. But then there's also the element of it's Ronaldo and he does score a lot of goals. So Keane, I think the I think the main thing that Roy Keane likes, as much as people probably think it's attitude and you know commitment and whatever, I think he just likes good players. <laughs> That's what he wants as a manager. That's what he wants as a teammate. He wants good players and he'll respect them to the end as long as they're good and performing. I think the main thing Roy Keane likes is probably his relationship with Cristiano Ronaldo. Yeah. But yeah, no, he de- he definitely does like good players, but but of course of course you enjoy it. I mean, who who couldn't enjoy Roy Keane getting out an Uzi and just mowing down Rio Ferdinand? Like even though nobody would ever claim that what Ronaldo did was worse than that, even though everyone panned Ferdinand at the time when he was given an eight month ban, like who who couldn't who couldn't enjoy Roy Keane bringing up Paul Scholes sucking on his daughter's toes. I mean, I assume that's what he meant by United players have done much worse in the past. But <laughs> I, I think there's another question we can answer here. It's like, how many fucking toys did Ronaldo's ma buy him when he was a child that he still has some to fucking throw out of the pram? And how big is that fucking pram that it could hold all his toys and Ronaldo's ego? It's absolutely insane that Ronaldo did that. Just sit there for two minutes, you cunt. And like, mm. if you... If Ronaldo was so desperate to, to leave the club that he's trying to engineer this, just fucking sign for Marseille in the summer. Just say, listen, we're not going to fucking... I'm, I'm, I'm just going to buy myself out of my contract. I'm a, I'm a billionaire. I'm going to take a much reduced salary, and that's what, I, that's what I'm going to do to go to Marseille. He doesn't have to ruin his entire legacy as a professional. Think about this. Ronaldo is revered for being such a top-class professional, and this is how he's performing. And I know... The fact that he kept himself in such good shape and adapted to the type of player he was always stood in contrast to the fact that he was a moaning little prick. But I still can't believe he did this. I mean, this is a different level. And the fact that Roy Keane is defending it just shows how compromised and hypocritical he is as well. Yeah. All right. There's a long podcast today, but um, I think we I think we deserved it. I think we deserve to enjoy ourselves for a game and then for a podcast. So thanks very much for listening. On the day that Aaron Danks brought the magic back, I mean, why didn't Stephen Gerrard think of this? Why did he not think? Of, why did he not think of just injecting the team with a bit more quality? And ah, uh, it was very enjoyable. It's great to enjoy a game again. We've got a very tough match next week away to Newcastle, but it was just it was brilliant. I don't know about you, but it was amazing waking up this morning. Just a freshness in there, just like ah, here we go. Like I, I'm, I'm, I'm really looking forward to this match because of the unknown. Like, like we say, Brentford wouldn't have known what was going to happen. We weren't going to know, and 
it just it just exceeded expectations. That was thoroughly enjoyable. It was absolutely incredible, and I'm even looking forward to the to the mid season winter winter escape to the sunny climes of Saudi Arabia to try and get some you know energy back in the legs next week. <laughs> yeah. yeah, well, here, thanks a million for listening. Um, if you do have anything to say, just get in touch with us on Twitter, on email, or on Instagram as well. If you were there, uh, we're on the Villa Podcast Show. We'll see you next Saturday. Oh, maybe back for a Thursday show. I don't know. I just don't like committing stuff because I, I know I can put you in a difficult position as well, Liam, if I'm saying here. <laughs> we're, we're doing a show, by the way. Probably will be back for one, but uh, get in touch with any ideas. And um, yeah, we'll see you then. All the best. Thanks a million for listening. That wind is calling my name And I won't wait Or I'll never get on 